0: Well, happy Father's Day to all you dads. Where are all my dads. Raise your hands. Wave them in the air. Come on, this is your chance. Wave them like you just don't care. Yep, come on. Uh, It is, it's good today. I have no Father's Day message other than the gospel. It's what you need to hear. It's what I need to hear. And so... uh, uh, so we'll, uh, we'll do that very thing. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand right now. We are in Acts uh, chapter four today. Raise your hand. One of our blue shirts will bring you a Bible right now. Don't be ashamed. Some of us just forget them. Some of us may not have one. But we'll give you one today. Acts chapter four, uh, we'll pick up in verse 32. Uh, We have been preaching through Acts. If you're new to Refuge Church, expository preaching. Verse-by-verse preaching is what we do here. And so this is where we find ourselves uh, today. Uh, The heading in my Bible is that they had everything... In common, And so what you're going to see today as we preach through the text today, we actually roll it to the end of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five. And so what you're going to see is kind of a two people or really multiple people are involved, but two juxtaposed uh, ways of living today uh, from the end of chapter four to the beginning of chapter five. And so we'll pick up right away in our text. There will be no slides on the, uh, on the overhead today because I want you looking in your Bible and following along with me uh, today. So let's read uh, all of uh, the rest of uh, chapter four before we dive into it. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I would encourage you to circle one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things belonged to him was his own. So they're like, hey, nothing I have belongs to me alone. But circle, but if you're a writer in your Bible, they had everything in common. What's mine is just not mine, but what we have together is ours in common. Is what the early church said and how they lived. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds, of what was sold and laid it at the apostle 's feet, and it was distributed each as any had need, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostle 's feet so i 'll stop right there. And we will jump into at least this part of chapter 4 before we roll over into chapter 5. So, first, uh, first verse, uh, our ch- uh, uh, verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart, one soul, and no one, say no one. No, no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So this unity that we see right here in chapter four, the end of chapter four, is something that we've talked about over the last week or so about what the Holy Spirit did to the church, the early churches. He brought them together. He made them one. It was something very unique. It was something that was an evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in and through these new believers there in, uh, in Jerusalem where they were. And because of their unity, listen to this, because of their unity, they regarded people more important than they did things. They regarded people, people, I'm going through puberty, uh, people more important than they did things. Think about that. You matter more than stuff, you matter more than things. You as a person matter more than any of your possessions that you have. But this unity that they had, it was not conformity or uh, uniformity. It was not for everybody be alike, or everybody be the same thing, or everybody just look the same over and over again. Nobody's just alike. It's not some organizational unity where everybody's gotta do the same thing and everybody's marching to the beat of the same drummer thinking robotic style. That's, that's not what kind, of, what kind of unity they talked about. The worst times I think in church history has been when everybody was part of some big large organization and uh, that's not what unity is though. They had everything in common. They had everything in common. They recognized that God owned everything and he was giving it to them to steward well for their own good and then for the good of others. It belonged to God. They recognized that the things that they had, the things that came through their hands actually belonged to the Lord and they were stewarding it. It was theirs to steward while they were here. Because God had touched their lives so deeply, they were changed. They were like, man, we serve one king we serve one king together. And what our king says to do, what our king instructs us to do, how he instructs us to live, how the Holy Spirit helps us to live, is how we want to live. And we want to live like one people. We want to be in unity together. How cool would that be? To live like that. You know, some, there's some, I read some commentaries on this. And, and some people like to say that, hey, this was almost like Communism where, hey, everything just belonged to everybody, and, 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 uh, and, and so everybody just shared and share alike, and we all kind of evened out, even Stephen for everything. That's not what this is about. Communism says, what is yours is mine, and I'll take it. But this koinonia kind of love, this community that they lived in says, what's mine is yours, and I'll share it. See the difference? Not what's yours is mine and I'll take it. But what's mine is yours and I'll share it. If you come to, if you're part of GC, one of a gospel community groups, you've at least come through GC Genesis or you, you're part of GC Genesis now, the beginning of gospel community groups, and you've been at my house. And I say this to you when you come to my home that, hey, what's mine is yours. And I say, I get the better end of the deal because also what all of yours is mine. And so <laughs> there's a lot more of you than there is of me. But that's the way I want us to live. I want us to be a people that reflects, because we see that in the early church. We see that the Holy Spirit made a difference in people's lives. They live differently. They live differently than anybody else. And I want that to be said of us as a people of God in 2023. Now, as you're seeing that they sold everything here and, and they, they sold and met, met everybody's need as, as, as anyone had need, that doesn't mean they sold it all at one time or they were like, okay, big yard sale, everybody bring everything to the yard, we're selling it off right now and we're taking all the money in and then we'll do something with it. No, I believe what they're telling us is as they saw a need, They found a way to meet the need. If they said, hey, I've got to sell something because the scripture says they were selling their possessions and meeting needs as anyone had a need. They were like, hey, you know what? If you have a need and I don't know, I don't have the thing to meet your need, I might sell a cow or I might sell something else that I possess and then I'll meet the need that you have. What a countercultural way to live. Back then and in 2023. If you've got a need and I can't meet the need with something I have, what if I go sell something and meet your need? Many of you would think I was crazy. The person getting their need met wouldn't think I was crazy. They would see what a beautiful and gracious picture that might be. That's what the early church was doing. That's what we read about here in Acts, how the Holy Spirit made a difference in their lives. And they're probably doing it because, you know, Pentecost had just happened. We read about that back in chapter two that Pentecost had happened and, or on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had, had fallen and, and, and suddenly there were people that were just amazed at what was going on. And so I'm sure there were people that even stuck around during that celebration and they were like, <clears throat> and they'd become Christians. And so they might've been overwhelmed by lots of things during the time and they might've left their hometown and like, man, I didn't even bring enough clothes. I need a new tunic. My tunic is tarnished. And so I I don't have a place to wash it. And so I need a new tunic. So somebody might've said, well, I've got a tunic. Uh, You can wear my clothes. Speaking of wearing clothes, I'm wearing Drew's pants today. (laughs) Drew Benjamin's pants and new shoes. Come on. I didn't even wear my hokas today. It's an inside joke. Just go with me. But what an incredible witness to other people during their time that God God was encouraging them to show generosity not only to their family but to strangers. People that had come and people that were like, man, I've got a need. I'm, I'm stuck here and because of the kindness in your heart, because people's hearts had been transformed by the Holy Spirit, they were living differently. They were giving of their own possessions. A tangible picture of a transformed life. When the Holy Spirit indwells somebody, it makes us, we can't help but de- be different. Look right on at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. With great power, it says. Yeah, you know, this is both the result and kind of the root, the beginning of what was going on in these guys' lives. That this, this shows that, that the apostles, the people that were newly born, these people that were born again, one, they, they kept Jesus first. Their families were second, and the material things, the things that they had were way distant third. But I'm telling you, when we reorient our lives, which is language we use here at Refuge, that we say whenever Jesus uh, saves us and he makes a difference and the Holy Spirit indwells us, we can't help but be different. And we talk about reorienting our lives around gospel intentionality. About maybe, maybe all of our priorities have been out of whack, and now we've got to, we're trying to go, okay, who's first? What, what do I do first? What gets top billing? The fact is that it has to be Jesus, okay? It has to be the fact that he is our king. It has to be the fact that he is the one that, we, that rules and reigns, and he is the one that we worship. Jesus has to take that first, that top billing in our lives. People become secondary to that, to go, how do I love and care for you? How do you love and care for one another? It happens uh, widespread like in a community. It should happen in our homes that we see love and care happen for one another. Doesn't mean that things don't get sideways sometimes, but the reality is if Jesus is part of our lives, if the Holy Spirit indwells us, our calling is to set Jesus first. Nothing gets out of whack. We, We don't get to put our other priorities and our desires and things above him. Our people become second and then the things we own become a great Distant third. They said he was giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that was the thing for the early Christians. I mean, you got to th- Let's think about putting ourselves, we talk about it regularly. If you're in church regularly, maybe you've been in church your entire life, you've heard about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and we almost talk about it in passing because it's just become second nature to us. We say it over and over again. So the death and the resurrection of Jesus is just something that rolls off of our tongues really easy. But think about what the people were in the early church and how much in awe they were in the early church. This was the message of the first Christians. The resurrection of Jesus was the message. I mean, the truth is, and we say it here all the time, without the resurrection of Jesus, we're wasting our time, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, without the resurrection of Jesus, we're just going through religious things. And so we don't believe that this is just some religiosity. We believe the resurrection of Jesus actually makes a difference. It should have made a difference. Well, it definitely made a difference in the early church's lives. And it should make a difference in our own lives. You know, I see that happen. I see that regularly in many of you here in our church family. I, I, I saw it, I told these guys a couple weeks ago, you know, we, we had just this outpouring of the Holy Spirit last summer on our student trip, and, um, and we saw a lot of our students come to know the Lord, and, and so you never know in times like those, right? You never know if this is some emotional decision when everybody gets caught up in what's going on, or you never know if it's something genuine. And I love the fact that the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of our students that moved from death to life, that we saw become Christians, that we, that we got videos of from, uh, from Paul and Larissa in the middle of the night. Uh, they called all the elders and FaceTimed us in, and we got to watch baptisms with them while they were on the student trip. The overwhelming majority of them, you can clearly see that their lives are changed. I told, uh, I told that to Wyatt Guess and Miles St. Clair uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it was funny because I shared that with the elders and, and Paul Dacus told me the same thing. He said that that night, that same night at students, that he shared the same thing with them. And he, and the, listen to this, this is so awesome. And one of the guys, one of those guys, I think it was, uh, who was it? Miles? Miles? Yet Miles was struggling uh, during that time. And Miles was like, man, I, I, he had prayed literally that day. God, will you just, I'm struggling with some assurances and things. Will you just give me something to, to reassure me that, that, what, that I'm on the right path and I'm doing the right thing. And then I was prompted by the Holy Spirit just to say that to them that day. Paul Dacus was prompted by the Holy Spirit just to say something to them that night. And so what we saw saw was a real evidence of a changed life. And what the Holy Spirit did in our own lives was say, encourage these guys, which was exactly the same thing that he was praying for. How cool is that? I mean, that's just like cool. (laughs) Cooler than my shoes. Uh, I mean, it's, I I love that, that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. This is not some dead faith that you and I are part of. This is not some dead faith that we see here happening in Acts chapter 4. This is something that is real and alive. They were giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Many people in your church family are giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Your life, many of your lives are giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that great grace was upon them all. all. And I'm like, this is great grace and mega grace and, and double mega, double stuff, Oreo Grace, I mean, like really big, good, delicious stuff of grace. I mean, just awesome things that were happening that they got to, um, uh, to see. And I think that's a cool thing. Again, just like I was talking about, that we get to see that great measure of grace happen in the lives around us, even in 2023. Even in our church family here at Refuge. I mean, you know people like that. When you're around them, they are life-giving. You know people like that. They are, their countenance is different. I've seen that in the, many of these students, that they're, they're just different people. Their countenance is different. They speak life. The words that they speak are words of life and joy. They speak about Jesus. Jesus becomes just following, falling off their lips. They know great grace. And they exude great grace. I love being around people like that. Let's keep going. Verse 34 says this: keep going. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds. Uh, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And, And so it says, as many that were owners of lands or houses sold them. I mean, that's like radical generosity, I mean, who sells their land or who sells their house to be generous to other people? That's radical difference. That's radical change in people. These are people that know that this world is not their home. This is not all there is as we read about this text. When you find people with radical generosity, it's people that know that this world is not the end. That this is just really all temporary. The land that someone may own can be gone tomorrow. Your home can be gone tomorrow. These things are simply that, just temporary. Someone else will live on your farm one day. Someone else will sleep in your bedroom one day. Somebody else's kids will mark on the walls in your house one day. I'm not telling you to sell your land or sell your possessions and give it all away. I'm not telling you not to do that either. I'm telling you that radical generosity is a sign of the people of God. Holding on loosely to the things that we have is a sign of the people of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will show you how to be generous. The Holy Spirit will show you how to be generous with the things that he has actually blessed your life with. And and what we see in this text too is that people didn't wait for other people to give. People just started giving. They didn't like, well, you know, if If so and so gives, and I see the vast majority of people, then I might get on this train. But if not, I'm not going to be the first person to step on the roller coaster. I'm going to, no, they just jumped in when they saw a need. Then they met it. They they distributed to each one as any had need. I would encourage you to circle that's in verse thirty-five. They it was uh, they laid their stuff at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to any that had need. And unfortunately, when some people see generosity happening, when people are being generous to others, then some people choose to take advantage of it. We see that later in the New Testament. You know, this is kind of the birthing of the church and the birthing of the the Holy Spirit coming down. And and so from this, the New Testament, you know, we we get the rest of the New Testament because the church spreads and people go out across the lands and churches get planted. And and so then we read into the rest of the New Testament. It's kind of this gets skewed uh, down the road. Well, well, Timothy talks about this over in 1 Timothy. I won't necessarily ask you to turn there, but 1 Timothy chapter five, you can see that he deals with this, that as people around them start going, oh, well, like dude's selling his house and taking the money and he's giving it to people. Maybe I can get some of that green. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I can get my hands on some of that. Maybe I can get my part of it. First Timothy chapter five talks about that. And he talks about specifically how the church should deal with people who find themselves in need. And it says, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, it says, the church is called to discern that very carefully. So, so the church, refuge church, you give offerings. We all give offerings on Sundays or whenever you give online or however that works for you. But we give, we give generously, hopefully, and, and sacrificially. It's what we call you to do. It's what the scriptures call us to do. And well, it's, we're also called to steward that money and discern who the truly needy are. Timothy talks about that. Timothy says, if one can work to support himself, he is not truly needy and must provide for his own needs. He's like, bro, if you can work, work. Some of you might need to hear that today. If you can work, find a job, support your family. Timothy also goes on to say, he says, if family can support a needy person, the church should not be the ones called to support them. Like if you've got family, you've got a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, mom, dad, children that can help support whatever the things are going on in your life. He says, the church is not called to do that. Your family's called to help support what it is that you're doing. He says, Timothy says, it's right for the church to, st- to even take a look at your life and go, man, are you walking in step with the Lord? If you're out of step with the Lord, then man, we're not going to support those lives that you're out of step with the Lord. He says, examine yourself. The church should examine your own life before the church starts giving funds away that the people in the church have given for the spread of the gospel. And then he says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter six that this giving should be to something to supply just the basic needs that people have to live. And so, so uh, Timothy makes a good point in saying we're stewarding the, the giving that people give but we're doing it for those who are most in need. And Timothy goes on to say, he says, I set these things out to you so that we can actually support those who are truly in need. He really talks about widows in this place where widows that had no family, that really didn't have a way to earn money for themselves at the time. He said, and in our language today, we might say those who are truly destitute, Those who desperately need it are the people that the church is called to support in those times of need. It may be some of you. You may come up find yourself in some hard times. Timothy would say, follow these steps. If you still find yourself in that place, by all means, come to the church. Refuge Church is a generous people. We give lots of money away. We want to follow what the scripture teaches us to do. Uh, Look what he says there in verse 36 and 37. He said, one of the men named was a notable example of giving. He was so generous that they called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so maybe you like, preacher, I'd like to be generous. I'd really like to be generous, like, like we read about here in the New Testament. But man, I, I still have a lot of money to give, preacher. I, I, I don't have any land to sell. And I don't have any, I can't sell my house because it's just where I live and I don't have the ability to do that right now. What do I do? Well, maybe you've got words of encouragement for somebody. Maybe you've got a smile for someone. Maybe you've got an opportunity to pray over someone. Maybe your generosity becomes not in money, but just in you towards someone else. Be generous in every way possible. Why, preacher? Why should I be generous? For the same reason that they were generous. Because the Spirit of God that lived inside of them is the Spirit of God that caused them to be generous. It's part of the characteristic of having the Spirit of God live in us is to be generous people. Generous people that are willing to give things away. And man, this guy was, I mean, he was feeding from the fire hose. I mean, he was, he was taking everything in that he possibly could, everything that he could ingest. He was going, I, I want more of this. And the Holy Spirit had filled him up and he was like, I, I want more and, and I want to, to give it all away if I possibly can. I mean, this cat ate and left no crumbs. He wanted it all. He leave anything to spare. And that's the picture that was painted for us at the end of Acts chapter four. Radical generosity. Then we get to chapter five. Takes a turn. Let's see what this says. Differing way for people to choose to live. But, first word of chapter five is but. Circle that. Highlight it. Write it big in your Bible. So this is saying, you just heard this story. Now I'm about to tell you about the other side. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with the wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So I'm going to kind of do this verse by verse, and we'll get through this text. Uh, so after Ananias and Sapphira saw this great generosity that was happening with Barnabas and how he was respected a lot and, and people just looked at him, they're like, oh my goodness, the generosity of this cat, I want to be like him. I want people to think of him, think of me like they think of him. They saw that generosity, I want to do the same, the th- same things. Ananias and Sapphira decided they want to see, receive that same kind of respect, but it says they kept back part of the proceeds. They sold what they, some possessions that they had, but they only gave a portion, yet they were implying that they sacrificially gave to the church. Hmm. There's a Greek word for kept back, and I'll give it a shot. Nosphysomai. Say that with me. Nospizomai. One more time. Close enough. You know what? We're close enough which means to misappropriate, that's what it means. To misappropriate what it is that you have or what it is that you say that you're giving. The only other time it's used in the New Testament means to steal. And so this act of deceit really is what's happening here is kind of an interruption of this life change that was going on in the beginning of Acts. So the first four chapters we're just seeing Bam, just different radical change. And then this sudden change or sudden shift of direction here in chapter five. Now, clearly both husband and wife were part of this deception. And this is important. They really wanted the image of generosity without being generous. They wanted the image of generosity without being generous. This happens with giving. This happens many times, unfortunately, with people that call themselves followers of Jesus. Many people who, part of the church or or even come to this church gathering, put on a mask and, and pretend to be something that they're not, pretend to be generous, Maybe when they're not. We've been part of a, a church organization for some time. We're no longer part of a church organization that we've been a part of uh, anymore. We, we left that uh, affiliation about three months ago. And what, what I learned as part of leaving that organization was that some of the people that were in the highest ranks of that organization never gave a red cent to that organization. People that were on the board of directors Never gave a red cent to that organization. Even though they were in the highest places, it, it kind of lines up with what we're seeing today. They gave the image of one thing, yet actually did another. They wore a mask. Are you wearing a mask today? Not literally. That would be funny. Uh, if we all had masks on, like literal Masks. But are you wearing a mask today? Are you wanting to portray the image of something that you're actually not? It's time to put down the mask. It's time to admit your need for transformation. You don't have to wear a mask here. You you don't have to keep portraying yourself as something that you're not. We, We don't ask you to do that. We don't ask you to pretend to be something that you think that we want you to be. We don't set those expectations on you. We're here to preach the gospel. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to, to come alongside you when you find yourself in the ditch somewhere and to go, hey brother, let me help you out of that ditch. Hey sister, let's take that mask off. You don't have to wear that anymore here. Hypocrisy is one of those things that we see all through the scriptures. It's like, bro, why are you you doing this? Why are you living this way? You don't have to do that here. They didn't have to do that, but that's the way they chose. And theirs was around money. And when it comes to money, many people do strange things with money. Uh, This one commentator said, once the love of money takes possession of a person, there is no evil that he cannot or will not do. John Calvin said, there are evils packed under the sin of Ananias beyond the mere attempt to deceive God in the church. First thing he says is that there was this disrespect of God. They were bringing something to, to, to offer to God that just wasn't even true. Secondly, he said there was this uh, sacrilegious defrauding of God. It, so it, you're, they were bringing this to the church and was, but it was really a sacrilegious offering because they were bringing it as an offering to the Lord, but it wasn't even true. It wasn't even real. They were pretending to be something that it wasn't. There was a lack of faith in Ananias and Sapphira because they held something back because they were like, I don't know if we want to give all that or not. And then there was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, tr- trying to make people think them different than they actually were. You know, we receive an offering every week at Refuge and, and, uh, and uh, other many opportunities for people to give from time to time. And uh, many of you are generous with your giving. Uh, some of you are extremely generous with your giving, regularly, sacrificial, just like we ask you to be. Yet some of you are like this organization that we were a part of, and you give nothing. You give nothing. You call yourself part of this church family. You, you call yourself part of, part of the family of God, and we want to live like a good, healthy family, and you love being a part of the good, healthy family, yet you contribute nothing to the family. I would say in most of our homes, we all have chores for people in our family. Like my, my kids have very few chores, but they've got some. Uh, And sometimes we have to remind them. But we all contribute to what's going on in our family. Same thing in our church family. We're all called to contribute to what's going on in our church family. We say this literally every week whenever we take an offering. That we ask you to give regularly, generously, and sacrificially to the work of the Lord. And many of you do. My goodness, the vast majority of you are very generous people in this church family. Some of you are not. I would encourage those of you who are not to just spend some time in prayer. This is not meant to shame you. I'm not calling your name out. That's between you and the Lord. But I would say spend some time with the Lord, praying, asking, asking the Holy Spirit to examine you and reveal the condition of your heart around giving. I know some of you may have some church hurt some places that you've been in the past where church has misappropriated money and people have stolen money and there's been documentaries that we watch on TV about how people don't handle money really well. But I can promise you this, we steward your money closely and tightly. We're generous with other people as we give it away. we, we, We steward it really, really well. I would encourage you to be part of that. Let's keep going. Uh, Verses uh, uh, three through five is where Peter confronts uh, Ananias. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remains unsold, did did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And so apparently the Holy Spirit gave Peter some type of insight into this and because it wasn't like you know he knew exactly how much the land cost or anything. It's like the Holy Spirit gave him some type of word of knowledge, uh, which is talked about in 1 Corinthians. That's not some kind of a weird thing, but a word of knowledge is actually talked about. Paul writes it to the church at Corinth and says sometimes we get that from the Lord. The Lord gives us insight into things. And I'm sure whenever Peter said this to Ananias, I mean, he had to be crushed. Like, if, like, like I'm, a, I'm, I'm a blusher, like if you say something to me, it embarrasses me, like my face rushes red, you know, and some of you do that, some people get splotchy sometimes, you know, whenever we uh, get embarrassed or whatever. But whatever the thing is that, I mean, but it just rushed over him, and he was kind of overtaken uh, by this thing. I mean, I'm sure he expected to be praised for whatever gift that he was getting, just like the, the scriptures talk about the, uh, Barnabas and, and the people uh, before him, but he was rebuked instead. I mean, Peter saw that Satan was actually at work. He, he was led by the Holy Spirit to know that, the, that Satan was actually at work in Ananias' heart and he wanted to rebuke it right away. He was lusting after public praise for his generosity. And because his sin was public, he needed to be rebuked publicly. That's biblical principles to go, man, if there's something that is done kind of uh, out of the spotlight, then you know what? That needs to be taken care out of the spotlight. Private sins need to be dealt with privately. But public sins need to be dealt with Publicly. We see that as a biblical principle all through the New Testament. And his was dealt with publicly. He said, why has, your, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? I mean, he didn't, he didn't accuse him of lying to the church. He said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. He said, while it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? Remain, uh, did, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? I mean, Peter li- literally said, man, this is yours. You didn't have to give it away. You didn't have to come and say, I've sold my land, and so here's the money from the sale of my land. He's like, you didn't have to say that. You could have said, hey man, I sold my land, and here's part of what I had. Peter would say, that would have been fine. It would have been fine to just say that. But you presented yourself as something different. You were deceptively implying that you gave it all. Hypocrisy. Presenting presenting yourself one way and living another. No doubt somebody here lives that way. You present yourself one way, yet you live another way. I did for a big portion of my life. Large portion of my life. I grew up in the church. I knew what to say. I knew how to walk. I knew how to say things around some people and not say them around other people. I knew how to act around the church crowd and I knew how to, I could act on my own when I wasn't around the church crowd. I I knew how to do that. I I lived that life for 30 years of my life. And I'm sure there's still some hypocrisy in my own heart that the Holy Spirit keeps digging around and unearthing in me. But for the vast majority of the way I live, I try not to live hypocritically anymore. And Peter was saying, you shouldn't live this same way either, Ananias. Sin, his sin was really pride. I want people to think good of me. Pride corrupts churches faster than anything else. He's like, why have you conceived this in your own heart? Many times, many times uh, we as Christians like to say, well, you know, the devil made me do it. I mean, if it wasn't up, if it went for Satan, I mean, he tempted me and he made me do this. Right? If you said that before, you don't have to answer. Listen, the devil doesn't make us do Anything. Our enemy doesn't make us do anything. He might entice us to do some things. He might entice us to sin. He might entice us to be deceptive. But who becomes deceptive? We do. We make the decisions to be deceptive. We make the decisions to let our pride get in the way. We make the decisions to allow ourselves to fall into some type of sin. You and I sin, not someone else in our place. And that's what he was saying to Ananias here. Look what it says in verse five. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon him. All who heard it, the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Boom, wrap him up, he gone. When Ananias heard it, I mean, he was like he was like ooh, kadonk. I mean, he was out. I mean, he probably had a heart attack or something like that. I don't know what it was, but I mean, he was out. He hit the floor. He hit the floor, and then they rolled him up. Next thing you know, he was low, low, down in the ground. Yes. Welcome to my head. And so Peter didn't know he was going to die. He just died. And so he was like, boys, here we go. Wrap him up. Get him out. So God exacted some righteous judgment. Here's why, here's why I think that that happened. It's kind of weird. Golly, I'm, I'm sorry I'm going long. It just is what it is. Um, here's why I think that happened. Uh, man, the church was bursting on the scene. Holy Spirit was at work doing good stuff. And then This happens. And because the Holy Spirit was so emanating the church at that time, and sin crept its way in, I think it was like, no, 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 we're, we're not having that here. We're not doing that here. And I think, you know, God doesn't kill us today whenever we sin. Thank God he doesn't do that. But he did then, because I think the church was bursting on the scene, and he really didn't want anything to, to really uh, corrupt what was happening at the time, the scripture says, so then fear came upon all those who heard these things. And then you get to verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing yet what had happened. She's like, oh, hello. <laughs> Remember that thing that we just gave, you know? Uh, and Peter didn't let her pass the front door very far. And he says, tell me whether you sold the lamb for so much. And she said, yes for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they'll carry you out too. He playing. Sapphira was a knowing and willing participant in what was going on. The blatant cover up that they had, had happened, she was right in the middle of it. And God judged her like he judged Ananias. uh, uh, Peter said, you have agreed together. Now we don't know if Ananias and Sapphira had a good marriage or a bad marriage. If they agreed much, if they agreed often, if they fought often. But we do know that they agreed to do this together. And they tried to deceive the church, the early church, at the time. Then it goes on to verse 10. Look what it says 10 and 11. Immediately she fell down at, her, at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear became upon those in the church and upon all those who heard these things. Same thing happened to her. She fell down, wrapped her up, carried her out. Low, 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 low. She went into the grave. She was buried the same way. Great fear came upon the church. The name Sapphira means beautiful in Aramaic. The name Ananias means God is gracious in Hebrew. And it seems like their names were somewhat contradictory to at least the end of their lives. And I think God was still gracious to them even toward the end of their lives. Now, if Ananias and Sapphira were truly uh, Christians, if they were truly followers of Jesus, if, if, if they truly were, because we don't know, only God knows those kind of things, uh, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If they were Christians, they didn't lose their salvation over this, okay? If they were Christians, they didn't out the grace of God in this particular instance. We just don't know that. Scripture is not clear about whether or not they were actually Christians or if they were just wanting to be part of this new, uh, this new squad. But if they were Christians, they didn't lose their salvation. They would just be absent from the body and they would have been present with the Lord. And so we have to believe that. If we believe it for ourselves today, we have to believe the same thing for Ananias and Sapphira today. It's just a tragic story of deception in the church by some people who were living hypocritically. So what do we do with this? Two sets of scriptures that are really juxtaposed against each other. Generous and openly uh, giving early in the early, in the early church. Church. And Barnabas, how that happened at the end of chapter four is set in opposition to Ananias and Sapphira. So, the the question for each of us today is where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself landing? Do Do you land in the end of chapter four or do you land in the beginning of chapter five? Are you someone who is born again, filled with the Spirit of God, willing to surrender your life to the call of God, or in essence, living in hypocrisy? A hypocritical life when it comes to the things of God. I get it. I told you, I lived that life. It's miserable. If you're living that life today, I know you're miserable. I've been there. I get it. You don't have to keep living that way. There's a better way. And it's where we find in the end of chapter four. Surrendering our lives to the the Lord Jesus. Surrendering our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit. Surrendering our lives into whatever he calls us to, we're willing to say yes to. We're willing to be honest, even in the dark spots of our hearts, to be honest, to be open to be willing to be examined. Those of you who are are living hypocritically in your salvation, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself and convincing yourself that you're something you're not and that's a deadly place to live. We're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. Young people, you're not promised tomorrow. Older people like me I'm not promised tomorrow. Living hypocritically has no value to you except in the small, tiny, porquito moment. And even then, it's truly of no value. Hypocrisy and living this spirit-filled life is really deceiving to others, just like Ananias and Sapphira were. They were deceiving to the people around them. They wanted people to think they were something that they were not, Life of hypocrisy is a life of misery. Joy belonged to Barnabas in his giving. Misery came to Ananias and Sapphira. Death came to Ananias and Sapphira. Be the follower of Jesus that eats and leaves no crumbs, that takes it all in. There's nothing left on the table. Take it all in. St. Pruitt says this, a Christianity that gets you into heaven while allowing you to continue living however you want to here on earth is a Christianity foreign to the New Testament. I'll read that again. A Christianity that gets you into heaven while allowing you to continue living however you want to here on earth is a Christianity foreign to the New Testament. The real gospel changes who we are, then it also changes what you do, it changes your identity, and it changes your activity. You may fool someone for a season, but Jesus sees you. And Jesus knows you. Jesus would tenderly call you to himself today. His arms are open wide. We sing this. Forgiveness is bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. Forgiveness, hope, salvation is bought by the precious blood of Jesus, repenting, turning from your sin, putting your trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's what transformed the early church. And it's what will transform you today. I pray that you will come to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we need you.